Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Emily Jane Fox, co-host of Inside the Hive. How are you doing? Good morning. Good afternoon to you. I actually feel empowered, Joe Hagan, and I'll I'll tell you why. You look empowered. I feel like I look like I uh, could use <laughs> today's hair wash day. Um, I am tuning all of the noise out. That's there's like, a lot of noise to be tuned out today. It is the ultimate self care and. I just feel like we're at a point where our president is doing all sorts of things to try and remain relevant in a period where he is really irrelevant, and that is probably one of his greatest fears. And I don't, it's like watching a crazy person on the street waving his hands around. You don't need to watch it. I mean, it's entertaining to watch, and I know that we're all still on the edge of the last five years being crazy and having to tune into anything. So we're just totally addicted to the drama. But I feel like I'm pulling myself out of it. You don't need to watch it anymore. It's like, it's completely, completely unnecessary noise that is meaningless. Democracy is working. The processes are working. You don't need to watch the raving lunatic who lost. Like he just, he's irrelevant. So the more we tune into it, the more we continue to feed into the idea that he is relevant or what he's doing is relevant. If you choose to tune it out, you're not only doing yourself a personal favor, but you're making it so he doesn't matter anymore. So just make it so he doesn't matter anymore. Amen, sister. I mean, that is, uh, that's a call to arms for a lot of us, not just in the media, but out there in media consuming world. You don't have to look. You don't have to gawk. And, you know, I've been saying this, it's been a mantra of mine, is like we can break our addiction to this spectacle because we don't, it's not, you know, yes, it's a life or death situation in this country right now, but you're helping the life and death situation by not empowering this maniac who's helped people to their end and not helped them live. And disinformation doesn't do you any good, you know. In fact, that's, it's precisely this conversation that we just, you know, backed into as we started uh, inside the hive today. That was the subject of my conversation with Jake Tapper of CNN today. We we got into exactly this about, you know, um, what do we do about, um, you know, covering uh, him and how much does our coverage of him um, work against us? You know, paying attention to him is what he needs. And to the degree we empower him is the degree to which he can continue to make chaos and make havoc uh, on our democracy. And the promise and hope of 2021 uh, is that we turn the cameras away. Mm. And so we can begin that practice now uh, by, you know, um, refusing uh, to, um, you know, eat popcorn at the circus and watch the freaks, you know. Uh, especially when really it's not freaks, it's people are like running the government, right? Same, same um, thing. Totally. So, you know, uh, this is the kind of conversation I get into with Jake Tapper and we talk about what can be done, what has been done, what have we learned? And, uh, we also talk about, uh, the first, uh, rock concert he ever went to. Which was? 
Squeeze at at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Love the Spectrum as a Philadelphia girl. I appreciate that. I had many of my early concerts at the Spectrum. I love that. Well, and so he, uh, we, we both dated ourselves a little bit by saying, you know, uh, him talking about Squeeze and Oingo Boingo Mm. opening up, uh, which uh, you know, you know what it made me think of. I I was uh, he he tweeted this out the other day, which is why I brought it up, but. I was thinking about a lot of um, – there's been a lot of nostalgia among people I know, and I'm on Twitter, and people are always talking about concerts they went to and things that TV shows they used to love and movies. And, of course, we've been in this sort of quarantine paralysis, mm. and so you don't have much else to think about, you know, and the future is a thing you don't want to really think about often, so you're thinking about the past. It's a natural thing. And But I just – when I think about just a little moment like a concert that I saw – where I was in like, you know, when I was 25 and in a club surrounded by people and and remembering what normal life seemed like when the future just seemed like a thing that was going to unfold on, on its own course, mm-hmm. right? And we didn't have to uh, collectively grab hold of whatever we could to try to steer it in the right direction uh, full of fear and anxiety as we have been in the last year and Boy, I sure hope that we can come back uh, to a place, uh, you know, with these vaccines and everything that's happening where we can, you know, get together and feel like life is like a thing that you're going to get up and know what's coming. You know, there's some predictability to it, some stability, but also that that sense of um, just normal, everyday joy that you can get from doing things like hey, uh, let's go see that concert this weekend. Sure, let's just do that. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot because we had to make a really hard decision. Um, I have not seen my sister and her kids in more than a year now. I have not seen my my parents since January. I have not been back to the East Coast since February. Um, and for months we had planned on coming back around Thanksgiving and we decided last week that we're not going to do it, that the numbers felt, so scary and unsafe and it felt like such an unnecessary risk for people in our family who we love who are older or um, are vulnerable and it also just feels like a bad example to set that I like to hold on to my ability to judge people for their selfish behavior during this pandemic and I don't want to give that up and it just makes me think that we've had such positive news come from two vaccines that are seemingly imminent and very effective and potentially more on the way. And this has been such a long haul and we've already had to miss out on such beautiful moments that you would normally share with our family. I think we are headed into a period of great darkness that may be worse than what we've seen before. Um, But there is hope around the corner if we just do what we're supposed to do in this period of time. And I think that the hope will come sooner if everyone just continues to make these hard decisions. They suck. Thanksgiving is my favorite day of the year. Mm -hmm. I I, I didn't, I, I spent last Thanksgiving with Lee's family, which was so beautiful. But to not have two Thanksgivings in a row with my family, it's tough. It's not, it's not. Would any of us want to have to make these these hard decisions? But we have to make them. There's never been really a, a choice to me that this is just the right thing to do. And we will get back to that day that you're talking about of those ordinary predictable things of just feeling good and feeling normal. But we won't get back there as soon as we could if people don't take this seriously, don't do their part, make the hard decisions that will hopefully help ease this and accept and accept the factual basis of science crazy and you know that's why when we talk about information um you know hard facts as reported by news organizations that we trust uh, these are things that matter they affect people's real lives and that is one of the things, in fact, that we, again, we talk about in this interview uh, with Jake Tapper. And, um, you know, there's a life or death is at stake. And, um, uh, you know, one of the things that um, we can do is uh, talk about why that matters and what is true and what isn't. And 
the, you know, if we can offer a glimmer of hope here at Inside the Hive and take you through this winter, you know, um, episode by episode, we're going to do that. And, uh, you know, hang on with us and we'll we'll get you to the other side uh, as, as well as we can. You're a resident Emily Dickinson here with with your hope poeticness. I yeah, love it. Thing with feathers. Exactly right. Well, <laughs> I want to hear your conversation with Jake. It's a conversation all of us have been looking to hear. So let's get to it. Here we go. Jake Tapper of CNN, welcome back to Inside the Hive. You're the first guest I've ever had back. Oh, wow. To this podcast. So, you know, whether that's an honor or not, I hope it can be something like one. Um, it's been a, uh, a wild uh, couple of weeks feel like I had you in my living room way more than I ha- ever had before. <laughs> um, and uh, I just recently read that oral history in Esquire about all of your guys' experiences being on the set during the election. And uh, there was a lot of coffee consumed. Much, much coffee, copious yeah. coffee. Yeah, my favorite part was learning about Wolf Blitzer's um, grooming habits. It was, in- um, it was information I did not know. <laughs> Now, um, you know, I like, you know, th- we're in this age where we're getting to find out things about our TV personalities and, and news anchors that we didn't know in the past. And I saw something on Twitter last weekend that the first concert you ever went to was Squeeze and Oingo Boingo at the Spectrum. Yeah, that is factually true. I did not go there for the Oingo Boingo. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I went there for the Squeeze. Um, mm. I think that's a respectable first concert. Uh, totally. Totally. It's, that's a uh, squeeze is a great band singles yeah. 45 and under is a great album and uh yeah i went with my friend jeremy barnett who was a year ahead of me in school um so i think i probably was in ninth grade and he was in 10th something like that and oh, wow. that's uh you know going with going with a friend who's a year older is makes made it extra cool yeah uh, yeah that was a lot of fun well you know there's all when you're on twitter which is like the you know water cooler of the entire media world, um, you start to recognize the people in your business and in your field who are your age and have the same cultural markers. And uh, that's nice. Say- nobody I work with, except for my executive producer for the lead, nobody I work with has the same cultural markers because they're all so much younger than me. So they have no idea, right? Any of my cultural references. Yeah, I mean, the fact that there is a band called Oingo Boingo is probably pretty flummoxing uh, to to the younger people. Um, I was just thinking about uh, that this morning because another person who's in our demographic, Mr. Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, he um, he tweeted this morning, don't want to be paranoid, but I think many in the media really don't like Republicans, he said. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, I was like, I can't believe I'm the same age as this guy. But the, uh, and by the way, he was a, um, he's a rap fan. That yep. was his thing. He grew up being into uh, NWA, uh, which sort of, we, we won't go there. But I brought you on today because I wanted to talk about, you know, this, uh, what we've learned as people in the media watching this kind of political spectacle and everything that's gone on in, during this election year, but also in the last four years under Trump, and this qu- this quote from Marco Rubio sort of gets to it to a degree, which is that here are the uh, you know the Trump and the Republicans are trying to uh, you know resist or undo um, the facts of the election. And when they are called on it or when the media doesn't play along or put them on TV with misinformation that they're trying to circulate, it's suddenly their, you know, they can do their fake news liberal media attack. And this has been the sort of like pincer, the pincer that the media has been in uh, really in the last four years um, trying to cover this administration. But let me just ask you right off the top, just to establish a baseline here, um, what are the facts of the election presently in, in terms of their claims that there has been election fraud? What, what are just the facts on the ground that we know now? Well, I mean, I've gone through a number of these lawsuits and I've talked to a number of uh, experts and election officials, uh, including Republican election law experts and Republican election officials. 
And the truth of the matter is, you know, first of all, you have whatever it is, 150 million Americans who voted, whatever the number ultimately will be. And you can never say with that many people voting that there is no fraud anywhere. Right. Uh, I know of at least two instances of fraud in Pennsylvania, for example. Now, both of them happen to be uh, Republicans committing the fraud. But I, I don't, you know, for, there was a, a, a guy who tried to cast a ballot for his um, his late mother uh, is one example. That doesn't, you know, that that's one person committing fraud. That's not like some widespread conspiracy of, of Republican fraud in Pennsylvania. But in any case... As a general note, there is, as I have gone through these legal arguments in Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona and Georgia and Pennsylvania, there is no evidence, none, zero, of widespread voter fraud, period. There is no evidence of accidental error or anything along those lines that would change the results of the election. Uh, which is to say that there are, uh, as always happens, examples of mistakes. Um, and for example, uh, in this week, as Georgia conducted its recount, as requested by the Trump campaign, they discovered in two Republican counties some votes that had been um, tabulated incorrectly, that when they were tabulated correctly, uh, resulted in a net gain of votes for Donald Trump, uh, not enough to change the election, but enough that they should have been counted. Again, these were in two Republican counties. Um, so these, you know, this is not evidence of a Democratic plot. These are Republican counties in Georgia. And when I asked the Georgia Secretary of State about it, he said these were mistakes as happens, and there's no evidence of any nefarious intent or malfeasance, but sometimes mistakes happen. And again, not enough to change the result. So what we have clearly is a desire to overturn the will of the people, the voters, yeah. uh, and a mad scramble to find evidence that would do that, that would accomplish that, which is not generally how court cases happen. Usually the evidence comes first, then the seeking of remedy. Uh, but in any case, and then once it became clear that that was not going to be enough because there just weren't enough examples of anything that would tip even one of the states, and keep in mind, Donald Trump would need several of these states to flip. Once that became clear, uh, it became clear that the, then Donald Trump, um, the outgoing president, began pushing this deranged conspiracy theory about Dominion software, which is not mm -hmm. true. Not true. And yeah. and it's crazy. And, and, and literally the sites that he um, and the individuals whose testimonies he's pushing on Twitter are conspiracy theorists and in, in like not credible people, period. And um, and this is where we are. And you your objection to what Senator Rubio um, tweeted, uh, I understand it because what we have here in many cases are Republicans trying to pretend that this isn't happening. Yeah. Um, you know, Marco Rubio is, as I've seen his tweets, and I admit I follow him on Twitter, but I don't, I, I might've missed one, but I've seen him um, attacking the Demo one of the Democratic Senate candidates in, in Georgia in the runoff, which is fine. That's, you know, Republicans attack Democrats, Democrats attack Republicans. That's what happens in a Senate runoff. Uh, and I see him going after the media uh, for, again, you know, these sweeping generalizations that we don't like Republicans, which is a not true thing to say. But beyond that, he's acting as if the president of the United States, who is handily defeated uh, in this election, is not behaving in an incredibly wild, uh, dangerous, unprofessional manner. We just learned from the Associated Press today that, that outgoing President Trump is actually phoning canvassers yeah. in Wayne County, Michigan. I saw that. It's just outrageous. I mean, when you, you know, the, the role that you're in and, and all of us to some degree are just trying to, uh, you know, we're, we've all been turned into fact checkers, right? right? And, uh, you know, we're just trying to block and tackle and ref this thing. But, you know, at, at some point, 
Don't you feel like you're just, um, you know, bailing the Titanic with a thimble? I mean, just like how do you even – No. I, and, and, you know, this is sort of where we left off in our last conversation. I said after all the reporting is said and done, you watch it just sort of wash against the rocks and there's 73 million people that are never going to absorb it. You know, do you feel <laughs> defeated <laughs> to some no, degree? I do not. I do yeah. not feel defeated because it it doesn't matter, by the way, even if um, uh, the people who believe the lies, um, even if they uh, had been uh, victorious in the presidential election, uh, the, the, the Donald Trump um, brigades, um, I'm not talking about Republican voters here. I'm talking about, you know, the president's the campaign and his and, uh, you know, the people. Uh, whose job it is is to undermine facts and whose job it is is to mislead people. I'm, I'm talking about them specifically, not the people mm-hmm. who vote for, vote for Trump for whatever reason or believe these lies that are being told to them. For whatever reason, I don't, I don't, um, I feel sympathy for them is the truth. I feel, I feel bad. They're outraged because they're being told things that aren't true. And that's a disgrace for the people who are telling the lies, not the people who are hearing them and getting and getting outraged. So um, but it doesn't even if they had won, that doesn't mean that my job or or your job or Daniel Dale's job or any fact checker or anybody who's out there just trying to say, look, I'm not taking a position on tax policy. I'm not taking a position on whether or not we should be in Afghanistan or whether or not. uh, you know, and I mean, what what our foreign policy should be, or whether or not um, we should be more aggressive with regards to Iran or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about here are the facts of this election, and you see Republicans, Republican officials, uh, Commissioner Schmidt in Philadelphia, and Secretary of State Raffensperger in. Georgia and the former cybersecurity czar at DHS, Chris Krebs, these are Republicans being hammered for just standing up for facts. Yeah. Well, you know, it's because, I mean, that they've all, his the allies, the Marco Rubios of the world, they've all learned a little parlor trick from Donald Trump, which is that you don't need to worry about the facts anymore. You can, and in fact, by resisting them, and forcing the media to, uh, you know, do all this blocking and tackling, you're create uh, the spectacle and outrage on its own is a kind of power that you can manipulate. Well, ex- and- except it's except it's different than that because I think that you don't see, as far as I can tell, uh, Republican senators. And, and look, I might be mistaken. I might have missed something that somebody said, but I don't see. Republican officials in the Senate, I'm sure there are some in the House where there are, you know, there's a there's a whole QAnon caucus. But mm-hmm. uh, the, in the Senate, I, I don't see Marco Rubio lying. I don't see Marco Rubio saying things that aren't true. Well, Ted Cruz uh, has been, t- you know, towing the line on the election fraud business. Um, OK, well, I haven't it, I haven't seen that, but I've seen t- I've seen Cruz and Graham say things like when asked about Chris Krebs, who was why who is and was widely respected and is a republican and has been there uh in the at dhs for years and i've seen them say well the president you know everybody in the administration serves at the pleasure of the president so he's allowed to he's allowed to hire and fire who he wants which is true it's not really the point but it is i mean i I do see an effort on the part of i'm not praising them for this by the way I'm, i'm just trying to delineate between like somebody like the president who's just telling out and out lies Right. And somebody like Marco Rubio, who I think is not who is not as far as I can tell, but is just kind of trying to pretend that this whole spectacle of Donald Trump phoning Wayne County election canvassers isn't happening. I, I mean, right. so he my point is he knows better. My he knows the difference. That, so I don't think he has learned. I'm disagreeing with you respectfully, if I may. Sure. I don't think he has learned that facts don't matter. I think he has learned to not get in Donald Trump's way, um, which, right. might, which might even be a worse uh, conclusion. Well, that's, you know, is it fear, as some people speculate, or is it, uh, you know, convenient? And, you know, maybe it's like, uh, you know, not really even a difference, but uh, the uh, allowing for this, 
and you know people have put all kinds of reasons about lack of courage or just cynicism right that we can uh use Donald Trump you know as he's got all these followers and supporters who believe a certain reality that he's gotten them to sign on for and they're going to you know go ahead and exploit that and try to carry it into whatever's coming next you know presumably a Biden administration um, not presumably. Well, and you know that's the thing that I factually, factually abide in. It, it's Nobody, factually right. Well, that's where we're at. Uh, you know, but he Jake, will be sworn in January twentieth, two thousand twenty-one. He will be sworn in. That's that's not a, pr- a presumption. That is a fact. Right. The only thing that would change that would be like literally actions that that. I mean, like, I can't even imagine. It would have to be something along the lines of literally a coup. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of people throwing around the word coup, and yeah. I, I'm I'm not. I'm saying the only thing that would prevent that would be a coup that I don't, an actual coup, and I do not think that's going to happen. And it's yeah. so it's such a spectacle. I do not think that the military would take up arms against the right. you know the, the United. I mean, we're talking. This is like this is this is crazy yeah. uh, dystopian sci-fi uh, movie. And I agree with you. I I I mean that part of it is preposterous, but I'm I think what is really going on is they're trying to delegitimize or create a perception of illegitimacy around Biden so that they can use that as leverage politically. You know, I, I think uh, I, I don't see, I don't think, I mean, this is the lesson of the Trump presidency for me is um, you're a scrap. I think that's a, that's a, that's a result. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you have a majority of Republican voters thinking that Joe Biden stole the election may end up being a result but I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think that's why they're doing it. I think they're not doing it because President Trump uh, refuses to. And look, I'm not a I'm not a doctor. But he, <laughs> he refuses to acknowledge the reality of what happened for whatever emotional, psychological, political, whatever the reason is. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I am I'm not invoking the Goldwater rule. I just am not trained. Right. But whatever the reason is, he's not accepting it. And because he's not accepting it, there's this whole group of people around him that are either enablers or coddlers or just ride or die. And they are going along with it. And you see little, you know, you see, you know, they dropped this, they dropped the lawsuit in Michigan today and they dropped the lawsuit in Arizona. The other, I mean, whatever. And you see people, law firms withdrawing from the cases and kind of like Homer Simpson going into the hedge, backing away. And, and, (laughs) Um, but, but by the same token, you also see that there is an apparatus around him. Um, and you know, it's like that episode, you know, you, you, you and I talk about how old we are. Um, there's a, a a classic episode of the twilight zone called, uh, it's a good life, uh, with a kid named Anthony played by Billy Mumy, uh, who has these powers and the entire town, like just. Uh, coddles him because they're afraid of him right that's what we're going through right now this is inside the hive i'm alex schwartz i'm nomi fry i'm vincent cunningham and this is critics at large a new yorker podcast for the culturally curious each week we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love books movies television music art and i always want to talk about celebrity gossip too of course what are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm oh. really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts you really don't want to miss this don't don't miss this don't miss it see you soon <laughs> this show is sponsored by better help how is your social battery right now is it bursting with energy or drained how do you recharge it have you ever reflected on those questions therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Hive. There are people in his administration who have stood up and then they, you know, are immediately fired. Uh, you can't, you know, Trump can't fire a, a senator, uh, but so they could plausibly stand up against him, larger numbers than are, and uh, but they're politically afraid of the results, right? Which, which and, is weird because there have been people who have stood up to him that have survived. Um, I'll, uh, so, like, for instance, I think of Congressman Adam Kinzinger, right? Mm-hmm. He's not a fierce Trump critic. But he has been willing to criticize Trump and on both policy and uh, rhetoric. Uh, he's one of the first to call Joe Biden president-elect. And he was reelected in his Republican district. Overwhelmingly, he ran ahead of Trump, uh, I think like 15 to 20 points ahead of Trump, uh, won like a quarter of the Democratic votes. This is in a uh, outside Chicago district. So it's not like you can't survive. Um yeah. Remember, the, the, the two big, biggest examples um, or the three biggest examples of people, Republicans who crossed Trump um, and, you know, that are cautionary tales are Jeff Flake and Bob Corker, both of whom resigned or, or, or didn't run for reelection. They didn't they weren't defeated. They didn't run for reelection. So that we so we did not see a test case of can you criticize Trump and be reelected? They just. I think they both assumed that they wouldn't have been able to, and that might have been true. Um, I mean, Ben Sass was a critic, and then he went radio silent for a year, got reelected, and now he's starting to show life again. But in any case, the third example would be Mark Sanford, who was defeated in a House race. Um, but that was a complicated situation. In any case, I don't know that it can't be done. But yes, of course, it is fear that is motivating these Republican officeholders because Donald Trump even after he has returned to Mar-a-Lago, um, is still going to be a force in American politics uh, enabled and um, amplified by not just Fox, but uh, all the other, you know, all the other even foxier foxes that are emerging out there. Right. Well, and what you're saying there, I think, gets to something, which is that they're sort of in a paralysis waiting to see whether he will carry his political power into next year and past his own presidency. And, you know, that is a question. I know some people say it as if it's a it's a done deal and it's a fact that he will carry his, you know, political celebrity, you know, into the next coming years and be a kingmaker, right? Others, and I'm one of them, I'm skeptical of that mm-hmm. because I think a lot of his power has come from our attention to him. And I know that he could, you know, get a 24-7 feed on ON and and uh, Newsmax, but that's not really the kind of media power that has made him, you know, a celebrity spectacle politician of the kind he is. So, and my th- question is, don't you think to some degree when we take our cameras off of him, when he's no longer in power and the things he's saying are just the opinions of a uh, ex-president— that that will reduce some of his political influence? Yes. Or Yeah. I do. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm willing to be proven wrong on this. Um, I think that is likely just because one of the reasons why what he says right now matters is because he has power. That's right. Uh, and, you know, so, I mean, look, I would not be paying attention to, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but like a... a I would not be paying attention to ex-President Trump railing about uh, Dominion Software or phoning, um, you know, I can't even believe I'm saying it, but Wayne County uh, election (laughs) canvassers. I mean, like, I I wouldn't be paying attention to that, uh, I don't think, not not as much as I am now, if he were not president. But because he's president and he has control of the federal government, uh, it's much more important when that power is taken away. Does all his power, is all his power taken away? No, not all of it, but a great deal of it because he, 
he'll be able to maintain a fundraising apparatus and a, and a disinformation uh, megaphone, but it, it, it won't, there won't be as much consequence. The truth of the matter is that he, it, he has as much power. It, he, he has um, white male, non-college educated voters. Like that is his base. Right. Right. Uh, and they're with him. But that's a that's a real minority of the American people. And so I don't know how much having that solid base in, you know, in his I don't want to I don't want to patronize them, but have, you know, being believed by this group, um, by by this demographic. I don't know how much that continues to give him power with Republican office holders going forward. I don't know. Um, I suspect that. Mitch McConnell uh, will not pay as much attention um, as of January 20th, 2021 to Donald Trump. And so that is also some of his power being taken away. Right. This is Inside the Hive. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden starting March 19th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Well, uh, you know, I was thinking about this uh, last weekend. ABC News had an interview with like three Trump voters. And they had him out on a patio, and it was sort of like, let's get the opinion of the Trump voter after this election. What do you think? And they all said, oh, it was rigged election. It was stolen by Biden. And they all had conspiracy theories. And, uh, you know, my immediate thought was like, why is ABC putting these people on here? You know, on one level, you're asking, oh, let's, you know, 73 million people did vote for him. So let's go find out you know, what their emotional temperature is. But on the other hand, once again, you know, the media is platforming this basically, you know, fake views as if they are, um, you know, on balance with reality, right? And that made me think a lot about the lessons of the last four years, about what has the media learned about, you know, when I say the media, you know, it's a big disparate group. It's not a monolith, right? Yeah. And, you know, journalism and journalists and the media aren't known for like um, having great, you know, um, righteous uh, backbones and, you know, moral views of the world. They just kind of go for the ratings. But, um, you know, n- not everyone. Uh, but, you know, what do you think? Have you noticed, did you notice over the four years that you were covering Trump, that the media figured out how to modulate how it was being abused or used by Trump for attention and for spectacle, like I'm, I'm talking about? Um, well, first of all, I didn't see the ABC News um, thing that you're talking about, um, so I can't really comment on it. But as a general note, uh, I don't think that it gets us anywhere to – I mean, I, I, again, I can't I, – this is not meant as a media criticism because I didn't see it. So sure. I am completely ignorant about it other than uh, I, I saw. I'll send you a link. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know it exists, but I get yeah. My point is like, I, I agree that, I mean, I could interview three people who think that the moon landing was faked. I could interview yeah. three people who think that 
Jews control the world. I could interview three people uh, who think um, that, you know, uh, there's no such thing as blood. Like we all um, live on peanut butter, like coursing through our veins. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like there are a bunch of lies out there and I don't know what it gets us to, even if they're widespread, uh, even if they're, they're, a lot of people believe them. A lot of people, a lot of Republicans during the Obama years thought Barack Obama wasn't born in the United States. I, I'm not going to go. I didn't. Right. And, I, and I don't think it's worth interviewing them. They're wrong. It's a right. lie. But now, 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 now take that same logic to the president. Right. Uh, you know, he's spouted many a lie. Oh, yeah. Uh, tens of thousands. And, you know, Daniel Dale could probably tell you the exact number. So, you know, what have we... You know, I, I guess that's my big question, my own personal hobby horse is, and there were, you know, instances in which, for instance, the press conference that Trump gave the week of the election, where he tried to come out and say explicitly that he thought it was rigged and started spouting conspiracies, and many networks pulled away, right, uh-huh. um, and and began to fact check immediately. And but this was like, you know, that talk about the eleventh hour. I mean, there were instances which a lot of network news organizations and 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 you know the crack addicted media <laughs> on Twitter, right, uh, just couldn't look away and got uh, and that was part of Trump's genius, right, to call us the fake news and uh, incite people and incite the news and constantly have the camera aimed at him, and so I guess I wondered like. Uh, and I know that you, um, well, you told me, I think recently that, uh, you know, you never had an interview with Trump. Is that right? Uh, I haven't interviewed him since, uh, I think it was June, 2016 when I challenged him on, he was saying that judge Curiel, who was hearing the Trump university fraud case, he was saying the judge couldn't do his job because he was Mexican, even though Curiel's from Indiana. And I was challenging. I, I was I was pushing to the point of like, if you're saying he can't do his job because of his race, isn't that by definition racist? And um, that was the last interview I, I was able to do with him. But right. your larger point about calling out the president's lies um, has been a deep frustration of mine with the news media uh, f- since 2015, 2016, when. I think a lot of people at CNN, uh, hopefully including me, just started to like um, really specifically and deliberately point out how much he's li- he lies. And for me, I, I think I had been doing it in interviews and coverage, but for me, I, I did my first um, kind of like, I wouldn't call it a commentary, but my first kind of like putting a flag in the ground on it uh, after he accused um Senator Ted Cruz of uh, Senator Ted Cruz's father of, uh, you know, maybe playing a role in the Kennedy assassination. And I I came out and I did a thing saying this is not pro Cruz. This is not anti-Trump. This is pro truth. Uh, And this is deranged. And I and and I would, you know, and I did it and I've been doing it since 2016. And I just think there has not been enough of that, probably not enough by me. Uh, certainly not enough by a lot of my colleagues. And I think that it is indicative of Donald Trump turning facts and decency into partisan uh, into partisan issues so that if you say that's not true, then, well, then you must be a liberal. You must be right. a Democrat if you're right. standing up for the idea that the moon is not made of green cheese because Donald Trump said the moon was made of green cheese. That's a, that's, that's an example. I'm, I'm joking, but that's an example. Well, well, that's what Marco Rubio said today. That's, I mean, that's basically where we're at. You know, you're, uh, by, you know, calling out, uh, the truth, they, you're the fake news, you're opposing the Republican party. And, you know, no, I don't know what motivated Rubio. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe Rubio is more, I mean, like, uh, Maybe I'm naive for still giving people the benefit. You're very kind. You're very kind. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's reacting to uh, five reporters um, defending something that uh, Raphael right. Warnock, Reverend Raphael Warnock, who's running for Senate in Georgia, said, 
uh, and going after Kelly Leffler and Rubio's looking at this and thinking it's bias and it's indication indicative of uh, reporters not liking Republicans. Maybe that's what's motivating him. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But as a general note, yeah, I mean, Donald Trump has turned facts and decency into partisan uh, ideas, uh, partisan footballs, and they shouldn't be. And in general, uh, Republican officials have sat back and relied on, you know, schmucks like me to do the work. And it's not fair because I shouldn't be braver than a U.S. senator. I'm just a, I'm just a, a cable news anchor, you know, but there's just there is such a thing as empirical truth. And um, whether it has to do with the coronavirus response or the election, I mean, this is this is this has not been good and it's been dangerous and it has, um, you know, you can't you can't directly draw a line between point A and point B. But I don't know how you you escape the conclusion that this hasn't caused, you know, cost lives, especially when it comes to the coronavirus vaccine. That's the thing is the. You know, just the other day, there was a, a nurse or a doctor from one of the Dakotas talking about, after having come off a, a watch on their hospital, that there are people that are sick with coronavirus or even dying who continue to believe it's a hoax against all reason, right? These lies can get really, you know, putting aside that people should be wearing masks, these are, you know, that science is real and people need to attend to that. I mean, these... These lies can uh, be are taken in so deeply and passionately by by some people that um, you know they'll take it to the grave. I mean, you know that they'll literally death, death, death do they part, right? Yeah, we had that and, nurse from South Dakota on CNN a couple of days ago, earlier this week, saying there are people literally dying who who think who are will not believe that they have COVID, uh, who th- are arguing that they have lung cancer instead. That's what they're dying of. And it's, yeah, it's tragic. But we, we started seeing that happen in like March or April. People that didn't believe, who believed that this was all a fraud and a hoax and didn't think that, uh, you know, thought that the media was was hyping this in order to score points against Donald Trump would get the virus and die. I mean, that happened over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and you can't say, well, he believed this politician or he believed this channel, but we know that there is this, this, this network of lying going on. Uh, and we know that there are people who heard the lying and believed it and it ended up costing them their lives. You know, it also reminds me by the way of something that I still worry about in, in this day and age. Um, even though you'd think by now people would have learned lessons, which is this notion of stochastic terrorism, which is stochastic terrorism. If you look it up, it's the idea of you put out a lie, you put out a deranged conspiracy theory, whatever, and you put it at, you're a powerful person, whether it's because you have an anchor chair or because you're a politician, whatever it is, you put it out there and then people act on these deranged beliefs and kill people. And that, but you, you, but there's no direct tie. So when somebody's out there saying George Soros, the rich billionaire philanthropist who happens to be Jewish, and maybe it's only Jews and not and anti-Semites who know that, but it's known um, the George Soros, and this is a lie. Let me again underline <clears throat> uh, funds uh, a plan to bring dangerous. Mexicans into this country to replace white people. Now that's a lie, but that lie motivated at least three acts of domestic terror uh, in California and at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh and then in El Paso. And you can find all sorts of people uh, starting with Donald Trump and, 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 you know, ending with a bunch of people on Fox who contributed to this lie and to this day contribute to this lie of master puppeteer George Soros. Um, And it's the same kind of dangerous playing with fire uh, that we've seen uh, we've that, that we see today and we, we saw it before. And, and again, there's no, there's no fingerprints, but 
It's dangerous. Well, that's the terrifying thing about it. It's like a meme. It travels of its own accord after a while, you know, it, it, it once it's released into the world. And by the way, I trace a lot of this back to kind of the fallout from the 2008 uh you know, financial crash, there were these different characters who began to emerge on the mainstream networks, like the Glenn Becks, even Alex Jones, who, you know, had a seat at CNN once in a while and would say insane things. Alex um, Jones? Alex Jones. Yeah, look it up. Uh, I wrote a profile of him and he was he was on CNN. It might have been one of the like, uh, you know. Um, not since Zucker's been there. Not since yeah. I've been there. It's pro- it's probably not. It was it predated predated you guys, but just generally speaking, they were allowed into the mainstream for a period, and they began to you know metastasize, or people took some of their techniques and expanded on them, and uh, because they were successful. Yeah, right. You don't have and, to look in the fringe though. This stuff is mainstream. Well, that's the thing. It's become mainstreamed. I mean, I don't think twenty. Well, okay, look, I'm t- I'm dating myself here, but okay, two thousand eight. That's not that long ago, but. Uh, you know, it was, it was the paranoia around Goldman Sachs and Wall Street and this idea that, you know, there was a, a kind of, um, you know, conspiracy to, you know, of the 1% to save themselves and, and crush others. And, and, and it spouted, it, it kind of birthed the Tea Party. It birthed, right. uh, you know, on the, on the left, there was the Occupy Wall Street movement. There was a lot of feelings and anger and it was never really resolved. Right. And that's, brings me to what I think is, you know, this is just my opinion, but I'm thinking about how do we put, is it possible to put this genie back in the bottle, right? Can we delineate again? Do the, does, when Trump leaves, does Owen and Newsmax, do they go back to being a marginal thing, like a circus on the edge of town? Or do they give Fox such a run for their money that they inflame more of it? Right. It's such a a good question. I don't know. I fear the latter because uh, you see Republicans in Congress either um, embracing conspiracy theorists like uh, Congresswoman elect Marjorie Greene, who has espoused all sorts of just flat out insane theories like including 9-11 trutherism, by the way, including mm-hmm. that one of the, you know, that the that the plane that hit the Pentagon could not have been, I mean, she, she questioned that. Um, I can't wait for Liz Cheney to weigh in on that if she ever does, Congresswoman <laughs> Cheney. But um, so there's that. And then also we've seen people like Ron Johnson um, giving credibility um, to some of the more deranged conspiracy theories. You might remember a few weeks ago when, um, Republicans, uh, not everybody, but a bunch of Republicans were, were acting as if what was on Hunter Biden's laptop was the, the greatest scandal in the history of the country. They seem to, right. have, they seem to have forgotten that. Yeah. Uh, but, but in any case, uh, Ron Johnson was out there putting out the vilest, vilest, uh, rumors and innuendo and, uh, and, you know, with no apparent, um, uh, recriminations whatsoever within the Republican caucus. Uh, and, so I don't see any disincentives being offered uh, by Republican leadership for this stuff. When Cynthia McKinney, uh, a Democratic congresswoman who was also a 9-11 truther, uh, she was she was uh, punished by the Democratic Party. I'm not holding up the Democratic Party as some great example of, yeah. of anything, but they did punish Congresswoman McKinney for, you know, for being a conspiracy theorist. I think she she said that Bush knew of 9-11 ahead of 9-11 or something crazy like that. Right. And um, but there's no there's no disincentive for the um, Matt Gateses of the world. There's only incentive. So, you know, as long as that as long as it it comes uh, part and parcel with loyalty to Trump. This is Inside the Hive. The question is, is can Trump's ability to, you know, use lies and conspiracies as a political tool be wielded by others successfully without him there as cover, right? So there is this, that's one of the things that I, you know, the little little rays of hope that I'll hang on to is that once Trump is gone, a lot of this pressure or... um you know, 
uh, opportunity that they see in being able to do that might uh, become less effective politically. We don't know that. We don't know. But also, um, don't forget, Joe, that some of these people are actually nuts. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Again, I I can't be specific because I'm not a doctor, but some of these people are actually actually believe this. They're not just pretending for the sake of votes, for the sake of support. Some of these people are. I mean, this is one of the great uh, unexplored um, aspects of public life, Uh, both uh, media and um, politics is how many of these people are just batshit crazy. Uh, legitimately so. And, you know, I'm sure we could have a very fruitful conversation with the microphones off and beer in hand about who we think are the craziest people, legitimately crazy, not just playing a role on TV. But there's, but there are a bunch of them out there. And a lot of them have been mainstreamed um, because a lot of them have been mainstreamed by the Trump administration because they couldn't get jobs uh, in previous Republican administrations. Well, yeah, and, and the uh, in Trump's time, uh, being crazy um, for if you were going to be, you know, a Trump Republican and uh, being crazy was a uh, was a benefit. You know, uh, he's like, you know, if, if Trump is casting uh, for his, you know, allies in the White House, he was casting for that kind of crazy, and it was a political. It was politically effective as long as it was sort of under the umbrella of Trump. Um, I'm not saying there haven't been crazy people in politics well before Trump. Sure, but, of course. Um, but he definitely... Um, Democrats and Republicans. but and both but, sides, yeah. But, but the idea of the number of, sh- of, 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 um, of people who are just loons, uh, who, people who just believe crazy things... Yeah. Uh, deranged conspiracy theories who don't care about evidence who don't care about facts who are willing to suspend all skepticism and allegiance to empiricism just to be part of the gang or for whatever reason again this is something for a a doctor to explore uh it's it's just um, on again, not just in the administration in Congress, but also on TV news. And I yeah. use the, I use the word news uh, loosely. Um, it's remarkable. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, it's all fits into a larger conversation that we can also have another time about just the uh, entertainment circus aspects of politics that Trump helped sort of ultimately fuse, you know, they'd always been going in this direction, but once it becomes a pure circus, uh, you know, more clowns get into the tent. So let me also say though, that let me just do this. Cause this is, this just happened while you and I were talking. Yeah. The CEO of one America news OAN and or whatever it is, which yeah. is, I mean, legitimately like this is not a place to get facts. It's no, it's, it's ridiculous, yeah. deranged and crazy stories. Yeah. He just tweeted, um, why is Biden still trying to act like he's going to be president when he knows the Dem cheating has been uncovered? He should be working on a way to clear all the charges he faces. Yeah. And then he tags real Donald Trump. So oh now here's my question. Does Robert Herring believe that? Or is Robert Herring just saying that as a business model and a decision uh, so as to get viewers for his network and have Donald Trump promote it. I right. don't know. And at a certain point, it doesn't matter. But if he believes it, that is a crazy thing to believe. Well, and if he believes it uh, or if he doesn't believe it and it's done for cynical purposes, um, in a way that's even more evil, <laughs> because if he believes it, it can be, you know, uh, we can chalk it up to, you know, a mental illness or something, but like this is, you know, in this, this sort of like inability to kind of figure out whether you're dealing with insanity or cynicism is one of the kind of like maddening aspects of the Trump age. But I do think, um, you know, as long as I'm, I'm going to get this little point in, which is I think one uh, possible way for um, facts and fiction to be, um, possibly delineated and some of this to be corrected um, 
would be uh, in the under a Biden administration if there is and does end up being a special counsel to investigate uh, some of what the Trump administration has done. And there is some level of, uh, you know, legal fact finding in which we can actually, you know, uh, see justice done of some kind. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I don't know what that will end up being. It could be that Trump is completely innocent of, of, of rule breaking and law breaking and, and whatever crimes the Democrats might accuse him of. But if people could see uh, everything laid out, um, you know, sure, would that just become politicized again? Possibly. But um, I feel like there has to be some national uh, reckoning with uh, what what these kinds of conspiracies and you know loose use of <laughs> of of the facts or not or use of non facts has how it has damaged yeah. um, people's faith in the government and and damaged every, the government itself and the unity. Um, and I'm not I, you know. That may not be something you can really opine about, but it's um, well. I mean, I'm not going to propose a truth and reconciliation committee um, like our commission, like uh, like they had in South Africa. But I will tell you that um, it's been damaging to the United States of America to have so have had so many people either willing to destroy or willing to sit back and let uh, others destroy um, institutions such as people having faith in elections, uh, people having faith in um, courts, people having faith in um, news media, people having faith in government, people having faith in just empirical fact, in science, in health officials. I mean, of course it's damaging. It's literally um, causing deaths. Uh, and I don't know where we go or how we, or how we do it. I'm just going to keep doing what I do, which is, you know, when it comes to having spirited debates about political issues on which reasonable people can disagree, you know, fostering those debates on my shows. And when it comes to standing up for things that are just true or false, standing up for the truth. Um, But I don't know, you know, but I'm, I can't go and say to Congressman X, you need to apologize for such and such. And they wouldn't listen to me anyway. (laughs) Well, here's my last question for you, Jake. I mean, if next year, Trump is out of office. Uh-huh. If he agreed to come Trump on and do it, if, yeah, if he was out of office, when he's out of office, let's say, yeah. <laughs> and he wa- agreed to do an interview with you, I imagine you'd take that interview. Donald Trump? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Tough one. Well, first of all, I don't think it's ever going to happen. So that's like asking me, like, yeah. you know, would you take Elvis? Like, I mean... <laughs> It's not going to happen. So why? I mean, why even discuss it? I mean, I can't even get Obama, much less Trump. So, um, you know, uh, because of the kinds of questions I ask. So I doubt it. Um, is there worth in having somebody who is willing to aggressively stand up for facts and truth and try to hold any politician accountable for decisions he or she has made? As a general note, I think so. Yeah. I do. But 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 um, and like, I mean, if Donald Trump were to sit for an interview with me, I don't think anybody I mean, I don't think anybody would expect that it would be an interview that would um, be soft. So, but again, it's such a hypothetical like he not only he hasn't given I mean, CNN has not CNN made it where I mean, we're almost there January 20th. The entire Trump era, the entire, I mean, the entire Trump presidency were the only network that he's not given an interview to, period. The only one. What do you chalk that up to? I think, I think there are two things. I think that people like me and Anderson, you know, were willing to say things that he didn't like, including like me calling him out on being racist about Judge Curiel. And I think Anderson, I think the last time Anderson was with Trump was a town hall with his family. And Anderson said like one of the arguments that Trump was making was like something that a, 
that a five-year-old would say or something like that. Uh, So I think the fact that we've been willing to aggressively call him out to his face, respectfully, but directly. And I think that there's, you know, there's this whole, he expected Jeff Zucker because he knew Jeff Zucker from back when Jeff was head of NBC and Celebrity Apprentice started and everything. He thought that because of that relationship that Jeff would, you know, be soft on him. Uh, and that, that wasn't the case. And so I think that he's very personally upset about that because, um, he thinks that that's disloyal of Jeff, um, which of course it is in a way because Jeff's loyalty has not been to Donald Trump. Jeff was, Jeff was, and is the head of a news division and our loyalty is to facts and the truth. Yeah. Well, I have to say, Jake, uh, I really have appreciated uh, your coverage uh, this election season, especially during that kind of like, uh, you know, extended um, election. uh, I don't know what that was, drip torture. It was uh, (laughs) it was really like national, you know, everybody in the country was in Guantanamo Bay for like a week. It was just the worst. And uh, I appreciated your. your truth telling, and I appreciated that you referred to Trump's children as his spawn. I probably shouldn't have done that, but <laughs> I loved it personally. But I really uh, have to say thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, sure. Um, it's been a great conversation, um, and maybe we'll make it a, a semi-regular thing. So I, I uh, but it, it's a big, big deal to get you here, and um, thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. It's my my pleasure. That's our show this week. I'd like to thank Jake Tapper of CNN for coming on the show. I'd like to thank my co-host, Emily Jane Fox, and my producer, Bob Tabador of Cadence 13. If you like what you hear, subscribe. Go to Apple or Radio.com or wherever you get your podcast and hit the subscribe button. I'd like to thank our sponsors. I hope that you will support them the way they support this podcast, and we will see you next week. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.